me nui kia koutou katoa. Welcome to Korotuturu Real Gold, the podcast series that explores all things heritage and research. Each year Auckland Libraries works with scholars from the Auckland History Initiative, a research collaboration at the University of Auckland. In this series we present research projects from the 2023 Summer Scholars, exploring aspects of Tamaki Makoto, Auckland's history. Students spend 12 weeks over the summer break exploring the varied and rich archives on a subject of their choice under the supervision of Professor Linda Brader and Dr Jessica Parr. In this track, Anna McCargill explores the rich careers and lives of Auckland actresses who were active in the 1960s to the 1980s. The women of Auckland's theatre witnessed first-hand key evolutions in this creative space. And his research primarily draws on voices from Jean Highland's Acting Woman in Auckland's Oral History Project, recorded in 2005 to 2006. In my project, I accessed Jean Highland's Acting Woman in Auckland Oral History Collection and researched Auckland's theatre history. I'd firstly like to thank Jonathan and Mary Mason for funding my research with the Auckland History Initiative. Thank you to my supervisors, Dr. Jess Parr and Professor Linda Bryder for expertly guiding me through my project. Thank you to the archivists from Auckland Library Heritage Collections and the University of Auckland Special Collections for their seminal advice on how I should delve into their rich archives. Thank you to my fellow researchers. It has been inspiring to work alongside you and witness your talent and dedication to your projects. Finally, thank you to everyone watching our presentations today. In high school, I loved how my drama classes allowed me to play a character and be someone other than myself. I love how studying history at university gives me the opportunity to explore past time periods and contexts different to my own. I've come across a collection where these two fields of history and acting, these two passions of mine, converge. I have been fortunate enough to access Jean Highland's oral history collection which she donated to Auckland Libraries. In 2005 to 2006, Highland interviewed 37 Auckland women who had worked in the acting profession from the 1920s onwards. She expertly shaped the interviews to draw out stories from the acting women about their fascinating careers and lives. There is a vast amount of material in this treasure trove of interviews that I could have explored and that future research should explore. However, I chose to focus on four women's contributions and experiences of Auckland's acting community and life in theatre. Elizabeth McRae, who acted with Mercury Theatre from its first show in 1968. Andrea Calland and Linda Cartwright, who both acted with Theatre Corporate in the 1970s. And Justine Samay Barton, who founded Pacific Theatre in 1987. In my presentation, I will draw from these women's perspectives to examine the late 1960s to 1980s as a vibrant and complex era for Auckland theatre. Three key facets of this era were emergent Auckland professional theatre companies, cultural complex and evolutions in Auckland theatre, and 1980s Auckland feminist theatre. For decades, Amateur companies had facilitated a vibrant and active theatre scene in Auckland. People came together to voluntarily put on shows out of their love for theatre. However, change was brought about with the rise of professional theatre in Auckland. 
On May 1st, 1968, Auckland's first professional theatre company, Mercury Theatre, staged its debut show, The Admirable Crichton. The company went on to perform many shows for the Auckland public in its Central City Theatre. Similarly, another Auckland professional company, Theatre Corporate, was formed in 1973. It was distinctive for its tours of and close engagement with Auckland and North Island schools. Elizabeth McRae noted how the workload was more intense in professional theatre compared to amateur theatre. She had typically spent around two to three months rehearsing an amateur production a few nights a week, whereas at the Mercury, a show needed to be ready to perform after just three to four weeks of rehearsing every day. Linda Cartwright and Andrea Calland also remembered enduring exhausting schedules of performing at multiple schools a day with theatre corporate. The acting woman found this hard work enjoyable and rewarding, but they were also aware that their hard work came with high stakes. As Linda Cartwright remembered, We felt very responsible at the beginning for holding the theatre up. You were very aware that if you were ill one night and didn't go on stage acting, then it could be the difference between the theatre continuing or not continuing. Professional theatre companies like the Mercury and Theatre Corporate were new, exciting and ambitious, but they were also fairly precarious ventures. Actors played a key role in ensuring the companies continually performed shows, attracted audiences, and acquired enough profit and success to stay up and running. Previously, Auckland actors did not get paid in amateur theatre productions. So a significant change was brought about with the emergence of professional theatre companies because they began to pay their actors. Mary Amore, founder of Central Theatre, an Auckland amateur theatre company, thought that the beginning of payment showed how more acceptance was being shown towards actors. Theatre acting had become a viable job. However, the job did not always pay well. <laughs> Linda Cartwright's earnings at Theatre Corporate were around $30 a week in rehearsals and $50 a week while touring. She recalled how the money wasn't great. They always paid us, bless their hearts, no matter how much the theatre was struggling. From Andrea Callan's perspective, there wasn't much left out of $30 a week. We were just paying our rent and putting our money into the kitty. The unprecedented nature of actors being paid was an exciting feature of Auckland professional theatre. However, as emergent, sometimes financially struggling ventures, professional companies often could not afford to pay their actors well. Acting in professional theatre was not guaranteed to be a lucrative career. Andrea Calland also questioned the entire premise of an actor needing to be paid to qualify as professional. She thought being professional is defined not by being paid, but by having the right skills, experience and state of mind. It's because I, I, I am a professional actor. I, I have done my training and I have my ticket. And mm. so if I ever perform, I, I am a professional actor performing. Significant cultural conflicts and evolutions also unfolded in Auckland theatre. In the 1970s, Elizabeth McRae observed a surge of New Zealanders writing plays that represented and told stories about our country. She found this very exciting 
and a sea change from theatre being perceived as English and British and all about the latest English play. However, Mercury Theatre was rather cautious about this surge of New Zealand plays. McRae remembered the Mercury staging New Zealand plays only now and again. They would rather do a good English play. McRae also felt that audiences stayed away in droves from New Zealand plays. Perhaps the Auckland public also shared the Mercury's distrust in their quality. There was cultural cringe towards local content, whereas English theatre was viewed as an assured source of quality. This speaks to a broad insecurity and identity crisis that has arguably been ingrained both in Auckland and nationally over time, stemming from our history of colonization. Can Pakeha New Zealanders find their own cultural identity beyond being a satellite of the motherland? Or is it safer to continue to follow English tradition? This also reflected the belief at the time that theater patronage was predominantly white or Pakeha and English influenced even with the large populations of Māori, Pacific peoples, and Chinese in Auckland. Justine Sumay Barton, a New Zealand-born Samoan director and actor, founded a company which increased Auckland theatre's cultural diversity. She grew up in a close-knit Pacifica community in Porirua. When she moved to Auckland in the late 1980s, she experienced severe culture shock at the sheer lack of Pacifica theatre. To arrive in... Auckland, one of the largest Polynesian cities in the world, and have absolutely nothing. Mm. You know, I, was, I, was, I was quite horrified. I could not believe it. Now, I personally love how Samay Barton described the solution to the absence of Pacifica representation in Auckland theatre in a very concise manner. We'll have to make a start then, won't we? <laughs> and make a start, she did. Samay Barton founded the Pacific Theatre Company in 1987. The company performed a number of shows in Auckland and also toured around North Island schools with a special focus on connecting with South Auckland schools where they were mainly Māori and Pacifica students. Samay Barton was the company's director and her husband Paul wrote scripts. They described how they researched and based many of Pacific Theatre's productions on Polynesian mythology, oral traditions and performance traditions which reveal the brilliance of Polynesian culture a heritage that arose out of the ocean that surrounds us. In her founding and directing of Pacific Theatre, Justine Samay Barton led productions that made a significant contribution to increasing representation of and respect for the cultures of Auckland's Pacific communities. Second wave feminism was a movement that sought to expand on the achievements of late 19th century first wave suffragettes and make further progress towards achieving gender equality. 1980s Auckland theater was energized by women creating feminist plays that could be duly empowering for themselves as artists and also the women in their audiences. For example, Renee Taylor, an Auckland based lesbian feminist playwright wrote Secrets which portrayed experiences like sexual abuse, making women feel unclean, women working a job where they are underpaid or undervalued, and mothers fearing that they cannot protect their daughters. Elizabeth McRae starred in Secrets, and she remembered the audience's response to her 1982 performance at the Maidment Theatre. Well, the audience just, I mean, they just took off. They were amazing. They yelled and screamed and clapped and, they were so thrilled to see a feminist play. 
a, a play about women and about the things that they've been thinking about. And she remembered feeling about. empowered by working in an all-women creative team. We were taking control. There was a lot of female anger in the theatres where women were being exploited in a way, not used to their full potential, women's stories not being told. We were making opportunities to work. However, Auckland Feminist Theatre also grappled with limited support. McRae acted in feminist plays written by Renee and Callant acted in feminist plays directed by Jan Pritijons. When these productions were put on by Mercury Theatre in the 1980s, they were staged in their upstairs Mercury 2 Theatre, a smaller studio space from their main stage downstairs. Andrea Kelland felt the feminist plays were very separate from what was going on downstairs. Downstairs, they were doing Foreskin's Lament. <laughs> History professor Nicholas Tarling outlined how the Mercury 2 was developed as a venue for the non-popular plays, providing an option for those who wanted to pursue minority interests. McRae and Callan's feminist plays were staged there, possibly because the Mercury had less faith in their ability to be popular or commercially successful, believing more Aucklanders would prefer to be an audience for plays like Forskin's Lament. It depicted men's issues and was staged in the larger theater. 1980s feminist theater and art also contended with internal conflicts within the Auckland feminist movement. For example, one of Elizabeth McRae's performances of Secrets was staged at the Playing with a Different Sex, a Feminist Arts Festival, held at the University of Auckland in June 1982. There were various tensions at this festival, which made for a charged context for McRae to perform in. Jeannie Reynolds, one of the co-organizers, admitted that there was a scarcity of black women at the festival, pinning the absence on the National Black Women's Hui taking place in the same week. This potential divide between the festival and the Hui mirrored a significant tension in New Zealand's second wave feminism. Pākehā feminists were frequently called out for being racist and failing to address issues significant to black women. Moreover, because the festival gave lesbian feminist artists, like Renee, a space to share their perspectives on women's issues, some heterosexual women questioned their space and complained of lesbian separatism. Andrea Kelland reflected on how the 1980s was an era that saw the uprising of and the coming out of lesbians. Some heterosexual women at the festival were likely shocked by the emergence and visibility of lesbian feminists. What was happening in the arts reflected broader divisions between heterosexual and lesbian women in the feminist movement at the time. Overall, the late 1960s to 1980s was a complex and vibrant era for Auckland theatre. Professional companies like the Mercury and Theatre Corporate emerged, providing new and exciting, yet often challenging work opportunities to actors. Auckland theatre in this era was also intertwined with broader historical uh, currents, like cultural conflicts and evolutions and second wave feminism. If you are interested, my articles for the Auckland History Initiative website will more extensively discuss these topics, and they will additionally examine acting women's experiences of pressures in their careers that can be linked to wider social pressures that Auckland women endured. I hope I have provided a compelling lens into Auckland theater history 
the experiences of Auckland acting women and Jean Highland's amazing research. Namihi nui. You've been listening to an Auckland Library's Heritage Talk. Student research undertaken by Frederick Vaught, Katia Kennedy and Samuel Turner O'Keefe was supported by the Auckland Library's Heritage Trust, John Stackpole Scholarship. To find out more about the work of the Auckland Library's Heritage Trust, visit Auckland Library's website. These talks are also available on the Auckland Library's YouTube channel. Thanks to the Auckland History Initiative and especially to the student creators for this talk series. Check out our other podcast offer and follow to be informed about new content being published on this platform. Matewa.